Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, how's it going? Thank you so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first show, my name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it really is my pleasure every week to bring you these stories of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture and agribusiness. How did you yourself decide on what career track you would take? Did you know early on? Uh, did somebody encourage you in a certain direction? Did you experience it through trial and error? Uh, I'm just really intrigued, especially as a, a recruiter myself, how do people find the right fit to them? If you're listening to the show, you're drawn to the agriculture industry somehow. Either you have strong ties in your background to it, or perhaps you discovered it through some of the other channels we talk about, like entrepreneurship, technology, sustainability, etc. You're somehow tied to this industry, but where do you fit? Where is your place? I have a company called AgGrad, and that's that's our intention, is to try to help people find their place in modern agriculture. And I wanted to bring on a guest today that really is a pioneer in helping people find their place in agriculture. Uh, Bob Brockelman, I first met when I was probably a senior in college. I was applying for jobs, and one of the jobs I applied for was with the farm credit uh, in the farm credit system. Bob and I got to, uh, to talk over the phone after I filled out an assessment that he was using. I think at the time it was probably the predictive index. Uh, filled out one of those online assessments. You know, you apply for a job, you fill out the assessment, you think what could they, what conclusions could they possibly draw out of this? And then Bob and I had a great chat where he shared with me uh, the results of, of the predictive index, which which weren't here's who your personality is as much as it was, you know, here are your tendencies, uh, here is your comfort zone, here is a role that seems to fit your key drivers. And it was really impactful. Uh, I didn't end up, end up going to work for Farm Credit, uh, as it turned out. But that conversation with Bob stuck with me, and, and him and I haven't really kept in touch, but uh, have stayed connected through LinkedIn and uh, things like that. So I was really excited to get some of Bob's time to talk about this topic of human capital. Uh, a business is only as good as its people. So how does a business find out the best way to establish who is going to be a fit, who brings the most strength to the table, but also who's going to be a lasting fit for the organization? As Bob's going to talk about, you know, in this day and age, uh, people just don't stay at jobs as long as they used to. I think he throws out a number like 67% leave within the first three years. So establishing fit with the cost involved of recruiting and training and retaining employees, uh, finding the right fit is extremely important. And that's why I'm really excited to bring on Bob Brockelman onto this show. Bob recently retired after 33 years in the farm credit system. He got his start and interest in, in pursuing agribusiness as a profession early on in high school when his high school ag teacher took a personal interest in him, which led to him uh, becoming a state FFA officer, actually an ag teacher and an FFA advisor for the state of Kansas uh, before starting his career with farm credit. It's really a treat to bring onto the show somebody who has lived uh, in agribusiness for so long and really been a pioneer in the field of recruiting and selection. So all of us uh, need to take a vested interest in how do we acquire the right people 
and how do we keep the right people? And Bob's answer would be that we first find the right fit for them. So here's my interview with Bob Brockelman. Uh, he will start off by telling you how he and the farm credit system first became interested in reworking their recruitment process. Yeah, there's, there's quite a story behind that. I mean, you, I don't know if you've heard it, but what uh, start, started our research on people was when two people committed suicide being loan officers and during the tough times. And so initially the, uh, the research into the instruments was to try to uh, find the right fit that, that can kind of handle the hard times as well? Right, yeah. Because they, they took it so personal you know, even though the ag conditions changed tremendously, they took it so personal and blamed themselves to the point where they couldn't live with it. And that was really sad. So, Oh, my gosh. And was uh, that in the 80s? In, in the 80s, 1985. Um, and we had very high turnover. We had 27.8% turnover. We were spending lots of money on bringing people in and training them, getting ready to take places. Uh, that we figured would open up and uh, we're spending about a million dollars a year uh, so then we decided to spend some money on matching people with the right jobs and five years later our turnover was down to three to four percent and my budget dropped down to thirty eight thousand dollars from close to a million dollars and so that just helps you understand the high cost of turnover what it takes because you have to bring them in, ship them in, they travel, the the hotel bills, the training costs and all that. It, it was enormous. So made a big difference in the organization. Absolutely. So can you unpack that a little bit more about the uh, the tools that you used? When, when you say finding the right fit, what for you all determined the right fit? <laughs> well, what we did is we studied the very best loan officers that were functioning extremely well during the times and uh, interviewed them in detail. And then to run the validation study, we chose some that were not functioning well. So we studied the ones that were really doing well and the ones that weren't doing well and looked at the differences. And we analyzed them on a lot of traits, but if they answered it the same between the top group and the bottom group, we threw that out because it wasn't a dividing question, in other words. So we, if, if it did divide, if the top group answered it different than the bottom group, then that became a question of the interview. And from those questions is what we developed the different traits that we looked in different positions. Our first interview that we built was a loan officer because that had the biggest impact on farm credit. And then from there, we went from a support position to credit analysts, to appraisers, um, to IT, in other words, um, to management interviews. Um, so we ended up developing a lot of interviews after we got started. But the first one was loan officers because those were our biggest concern. And was anyone else in, in the farm credit system or, or in banking in general using uh, this approach? Uh, at that point, no one was. In fact, it was starting out, it was so new, it was pretty con uh, confrontational. 
mostly by the universities because they hadn't seen anything like that before. And we ended up having meetings on all the campuses, inviting the dean's office and the department heads, explained to them how we went about developing it, you know, how we were going to use it so they could help educate the students about why it's important. And we really were trying to do the students a favor by putting them in the right jobs. Right. And once they understood that, then they bought into it. But at first it was new and very confrontational and controversial. And, uh, you know, like any other change, it takes some time to get used to. Sure. And, and initially, was it like written assessment or was it uh, just an interview approach? No, it was, well, we used two tools. We used one tool called Predictive Index, which is a job matching tool. In other words, everyone has a different type of profile, and there was a certain profile that fit being a loan officer. So if we found somebody with the right profile, then we did a behavioral type interview over the phone or in person. Um, and I tried to explain it like it's kind of like a big T. The top of the T on one side is what's required in the job, and the other side is how that individual is wired. And then if you look at the long leg going up to the top of the T, that's the behavioral interview measure and just actually how much strength do they have to do the traits that they have, if that makes sense. Right. So how kind of to what severity they align with that strength. Is that right? Right. So we're, we're you know, you're looking at a job match, but then you're also looking at do they have the drive and determination to do that job? Because just because you may fit a profile does not mean you have the drive and determination to do it. And by doing both, using both tools, um, we felt our research showed we were about 92% accurate. Hmm. So we, did, we didn't miss very often. And it, you know, it makes sense because the turnover went from 28.7% to 3 to 4% in five years, and then it stayed there. Yeah, you can't argue almost. With that. Almost work myself out of a job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, l- let's go back a little bit. What what before that time in your career had kind of led you to that point uh, of which you are you were ready to sort of introduce you know this new approach into the industry. My first job was assistant director of marketing, and and then uh, Jim Garnold said you ever thought about beginning in selection and recruitment and. Having been a rush chairman in the Alpha Gamma Real Fraternity, I thought, you know, that's, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. So he piqued my interest, and I applied for the job, got the job, and kind of the rest is history. So um, the first thing I noticed is all the money we were spending and all the turnover we had, and I thought, we got to do something. We have to do something different. This isn't working. Um, and it's a big disfavor to put somebody in a job that doesn't fit them. And about all they learn out of that is that they didn't fit the job. That doesn't do any good, really, except don't do that job again. Um, so that's kind of what led into all that. And so we did that for, I was with them about 33 years. Uh, the last seven, I was speaking at a meeting in Kansas City to a bunch of CEO round t- CEO roundtable people at a meeting in Kansas City, uh, explained to them what we did in farm credit, and then they wanted me to develop a system then for the ag co-ops around the country. 
So in the next seven years, we built interviews, kept the farm credit going, but also built interviews for uh, ag co-ops. In uh, we were in nine states and 28 cooperatives with about 6,500 employees total. So, and there we built in different interviews like truck driver, uh, custom applicator, sales professional, those type of interviews. And for all of those. So, all of those roles, even like, you know, truck driver, custom applicator, would you create kind of this profile that you were looking for and then use the assessments to try to find somebody who's a good fit? Well, we, we used the same process we did in Farm Credit. We uh, they identified who their top custom applicators were mm-hmm. and they interviewed them extensively. And then they built, by listening to them, built uh, interviews with lots of questions. And again, then we compared, uh, we had some of the top take and some of the bottom take the interview. And um, if they all answered the same question the same, we threw it out. If they didn't, it became a question that made a difference between the top applicators and the bottom applicators or the top truck drivers and the bottom truck drivers. There's a lot of truck drivers in, in the cooperative system. And it can cost them a lot of money if they have bad drivers. So. That was one big emphasis. Same way with custom applicators. If they put the wrong thing on the wrong field, that can cost the co-op a lot of money. So those are two big areas that they needed help in. And then we uh, used additional interviews like support interview and management interview, uh, IT interviews, those types of interviews. We also use those in the cooperatives because they were kind of cross-functional. Right. That makes, that makes sense. And when, before you had sort of the, the track record to point to like you do now about how much your retention dropped, like among loan officers, for example, uh, before you had that, what kind of resistance did you get or uh, how did you overcome kind of the skeptics of why are we doing this weird thing that nobody else seems to do? Well, I think they saw immediately how quickly the new loan officers adapted to the position how excited they got about their new position. Uh, We also had an extensive training program, um, four weeks, in fact. They'd come in for two weeks and go out and practice for about six or eight weeks and come in for two more on different subjects. So we not only selected the right kind, we spent a lot of money training them correctly, too. The difference was we didn't have near as many to train once we started matching people up to the right job, which way lowered our costs extremely. Hmm. We also did a study. This might be of interest to you. Um, after we built the interview, three years later, we did a study, and we picked our 20 top producing loan officers and our 20 low producing loan officers because we still had some in the organization, and we. We just sent the names and phone numbers to, uh, back then we were working with Selection Research Incorporated, which ended up merging with Gallup. Uh, and we sent those 40 in there and didn't tell them a thing about them except name and phone number. They interviewed them by phone and they came out. They had 20 top producers and 20 bottom producers. And when we matched up their productivity with how they rated on the interview, the top group were outproducing the bottom group two and a half to one, and eighty percent of the bad loans were put on by the bad group. Wow! Yeah, so and when you put a pencil to that, it's major. 
Right. Uh, what was interesting is one of the the bottom group that we studied, deep down in their heart, they knew they didn't fit, and they actually left and went to a different career. And then we could replace them with somebody that fit the job. So eventually, we had a set of loan officers out there that were high functioning, productive loan officers, and. And I think that's why you probably hear a lot of good things about farm credit today is because they're service oriented. They try to do what's right for the customer with a lot of integrity. And that's what you've got to have in lending, especially in agriculture. Yeah. And I think that definitely transfers well to, to any business. You've got to uh, be known as someone who is, uh, has a high degree of integrity is going to follow through with what you say you're going to do and can, you know, perceive and manage risk, uh, correctly. So that's, uh, that's fascinating. I mean, just the retention side of that alone is, is interesting to me. And there's no doubt, um, you know, it's almost cliche to say that uh, your business is only as good as your people. Uh, but I, I really believe that to be true. O- over your 33 years with farm credit, um, how had recruiting changed? Well, for us, it didn't change that much. Now, we had different type of candidates, but we still analyzed them the same way. We knew what we were looking for. We knew when we found it. And when we found the right person, we would work hard to get them hired. Uh, That doesn't mean we got them all hired, but we had a group that we were really after. And... um, and what was amazing about when you bring these people in and they're together two weeks, we had groups that became so close like a family because they thought alike, they felt alike, they liked doing the same things. We had groups uh, two or three years later take ski trips together. I, I mean, that to me, that tells a story in itself that they liked each other, they appreciated each other, they would call each other if they had questions on something. It built up a, their own network to grow and develop into what they needed to be a, a top-notch loan officer. There's been a lot made, Bob, about you know millennials and how different this generation is. Uh, from from your perspective, did you find it any more difficult to? Did you have to go through more people to find the right ones than you used to, or uh, what? Did you notice any changes there at all? Well, uh, yeah, there's changes, but what we found, and one of the this was the interesting in our research, one of the biggest predictors of success, whether they be willing to work hard and farm credit, was at what age they started working. Hmm. Well, we interviewed a lot of ag background people, right? So most of them grew up on a farm. They were probably out there working when they were 10 or 11. Even today, that's against the rules, I guess. Um, But what it did is it taught them early in life a work ethic, and then they carried that with them throughout life. And I think that's what made them successful. Um, I found interesting about a month ago, the Wichita Business Journal ran a story on all the, a lot of the top CEOs in Wichita. And when I read each profile, first of all, a bunch of them grew up on the farm, which I found fascinating. Yeah. And the second thing is they talked about when they were uh, 12, 14, they started mowing grass or had started a lawn mowing business or they had a paper route. In other words, they took on a responsibility at a very early age. And to me, that spoke volumes. Every single person they interviewed had started a responsible job at an early age. And what that did is totally correlated with the research that we did in farm credit. 
Uh, I mean, when you have every single one of the CEOs in Wichita that they interviewed took on a responsible job at an early age. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that I think maybe people listening here are going to, as a parent, get their kid out there do, doing something younger, but also as a as a business person, uh, that's an interesting question to ask. You know, when did you start working? Because it seems irrelevant when you're talking to somebody 25 years old, you know, what they did when they were, you know, 12, 13, but that's interesting that you notice such a connection. How many people do you think you've interviewed, Bob? Oh, wow. Uh, thousands. I really couldn't put a number on it. Now, would you have a team that would go out to like to the career fairs and, and find people through, you know, referral networks and that sort of thing? Or how did they initially make it to you? Uh, primarily career fairs. Here, what we would tell them at career fairs, and I think this is what perked our interest in. If you interview with us, first of all, we will have you do an online assessment called Predictive Index. That will give us an idea of what type of job you probably fit. Because our philosophy was most people are good people. They just need to be put in the right position, and then they'll be successful. And so if you interview with us, we will do that for you. And that really perked interest in people's minds because a lot of them didn't know what they wanted to do. Yeah. And that's still true today. I mean, how are you supposed to know you go from high school straight into college and, you know, you learn valuable information in college, but it's not really career discovery or self-discovery to the point where you would know exactly what you want to commit yourself to the rest of your life. So I think that's really valuable. I I use the predictive index with several of of my clients and find it to be really useful if you, um, you know, if you know how to interpret the results and, and I always enjoy through those with, with candidates. I will say one thing you talked earlier about differences in people. The one thing we found fascinating when we first started recruiting people, one thing we were looking for was critical thinking. And back in the eighties, critical thinking was very strong in college graduates. And I hate to say it, but we saw a decrease in critical thinking abilities as the years went on. And I think the universities were so concerned about training people to be a team player that they forgot some of the power of reasoning in their training. I'm not sure what caused it, but we saw a decrease in the ability of critical thinking. And critical thinking, what's interesting, was uh, one of the biggest predictive traits. If they were high in critical thinking, chances are they'd be a tremendous loan officer and also uh, could go into leadership positions in the organization later. And at any point, did you ever uh, run into the problem of just not sourcing enough candidates as in just kind of not give, getting enough in the door so that you end up with the, the qualified, you know, small amount of people that, that were actually going to be excited about the job? You know, we never did. And I think it's because the word got around campus. Uh, if you interview with farm credit, they'll try to put you in the right job. Hmm. And that resonated with kids yeah. and students. And um, we actually had people, when we went to career fairs, we'd have people lined up to talk to us. And I really think it's because we got the reputation on campus that we try to do the right thing for the students. And that's pretty powerful. 
you know, it's interesting. I, I look at my three kids and, you know, a lot of young people don't have a clue what they want to do. We were very lucky there. My son who flies for Delta today, uh, when he was six years old, we were out in the front yard and a jet flew over and he pointed up and said, Dad, I'm going to fly with those. And I said, well, that's a nice dream, you know. <laughs> right. And today he is. And uh, my son, who's a pediatrician in Kansas City in the first grade, wrote down, when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor. And my daughter, who teaches, used to set up boxes in the basement and pretend she was teaching. They all feel their dreams. But I don't see that in a lot of young people today. They seem to be confused on what they should do. And I guess we were just fortunate to have three kids that were focused. I don't know. I don't know what caused it, but um, it just seemed unnatural for them. But I don't see that in young people today. Um, their willingness to stick with a company is not anything like it used to be. Uh, and this, I guess we can get into the generation Y on that. But I think I saw, was it 67% of the students? leave their first job in less than two years. Wow. And so they go, in fact, got feedback that pensions weren't important to young people today because they don't plan to stay with you very long anyway. Now, we don't have that. We have way, way higher retention than what the average company has. Hmm. And I think it's because they were doing what they love doing. Well, this has been really valuable, Bob. I, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, just maybe real quick before we, we sign off here, uh, just one piece of wisdom or advice that you think you've carried through your career that you think really helped you uh, be successful in your career that you could share with the audience. Uh, I think throughout our lives, we get different pushes in life. And by pushes, um, my ag teacher probably gave me the first push. He came out the farm and I got elected chapter reporter at the end of my freshman year. And he said, told my dad, he said, Bob needs to go to FFA camp. Well, I'd never been away from home. Uh, and I was hoping my dad would say he can't go. But I just happened to break, I broke my arm two weeks before that playing Tarzan with my younger brother. And uh, he looked down at me and said, you might as well take him. He isn't any good to me like this. <laughs> so I went to camp out of default. That was my first push in life. And what was interesting, I didn't want to go to camp. I went with a bad attitude. And I got homesick and I didn't like camp at all. But on the way home, on the riding home, it's probably 230 miles to Oakley. I got to thinking, why did those other campers have a good time and I didn't? I mean, I bombed everything. I messed up my ritual. I goofed up parliament procedure. I, if you remember, we used to do tests at camp, and I got really low score. I always said I was the dumbest turfer because we broke up in different herds. But on the way home, I thought, I need to change my attitude. I went back the next year, got on the master ritual team, uh, won the information test for the camp is a spellman contest and what it taught me was you know i can do things if i just take a little risk in life so my advice would be try things take a risk and think about what is the worst thing that can come of this even if i don't win you're going to grow as an individual um 
second push in life is from my dad. We were out in the hay field and I had terrible hay fever. And I was really miserable. And he stopped the baler and I said, gosh, dad, what? Uh, The baler's doing good. How come you stopped? And he said, yeah, the baler's doing good, but look at you. You're miserable out here. And that was the same summer. And he said, I know you like agriculture. You like to be involved in agriculture, but you don't have to be in farming to be involved in agriculture. You need to go to college and get an education and major in something, maybe ag education at K-State. And um, that that was a great time to tell me because I was pretty miserable, sneezing and rubbing my eyes. And and, uh, I went to K-State, majored in ag education. And I guess the rest is history because things start falling in place. And and then got elected state FFA officer. And you know what that's about because you were a national officer, right? right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So you know how you grow and develop by doing that. I honestly don't think I would have ever done that if I wouldn't have taken that push to change my attitude going to camp, if I wouldn't have gone to college to get an education. So I tell young people today, throughout life, you're going to get different pushes in life. Just take them and listen. People are trying to help you. And if you let them help you, you'll be successful in life, regardless of whatever you choose to do. Thank you, Bob, very much. And thank you so much for, for taking the time. This has really been a treat. And, and I know I'm going to get uh, a lot of great feedback from this episode. So thank you. Okay. Thank you, Tim. And good to chat with you again. And it's been a few years, but it's all good to reconnect. Hope you enjoyed that and very grateful for Bob's time. Uh, he is in retirement, but still busy doing business development for Dale Carnegie after retiring from uh, from Farm Credit. So it's truly an inspiration and uh, someone you won't find anybody with a better reputation in the industry. Uh, just a pleasure to have him on here. And uh, I really believe in a lot of the principles he talked about that uh, we can establish the right fit for people and, and make everybody happier in the long run, as well as the, the clear business case for finding the right fit. Uh, this is a little plug for me. If you know anyone who is looking to hire or be hired in the business of agriculture, uh, I am a recruiter, as I mentioned on the top of every show. So would love to hear from you. Please, uh, either find me on LinkedIn, uh, or find me on Twitter at Tim Hammerich or send me an email, Tim at aggrad.com. Would love to hear from you and love to help anybody who wants to hire or be hired in the business of agriculture. Another podcast review on iTunes. Big thank you to Hal underscore one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think I got that right. Uh, Hal says, terrific podcast. Great content. Engaging host. Very well done. Got some cool hand uh, thumbs up emojis as well. So Hal, thank you so much. And thank all of you who have taken the 30 seconds to hop on iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review. It really does help. If you haven't yet, I would love to read your review on a future episode of this podcast. So please uh, just take a few seconds now. Go over and do that. Thanks so much. And we'll be back next week with another two guest episode where we look uh, to another interesting uh, relationship between someone in agribusiness and one of their farmer customers. So have a great week. I am in Wyoming. If you're listening when this is coming out on our annual wagon train in uh, the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. So if you reach out to me, I may not get back to you right away, but I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit 
aggrad.com. That's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.